Well, as I come to my last sermon at Lincoln Baptist, and potentially, as I've said, my last sermon for quite some time, the pressing question on many a mind, and I've been asked this in emails and WhatsApps and in person and you name it, I've had this question asked, what are you going to preach on? And I did contemplate doing the whole of Genesis and finishing off the series, but you know me, I can only really do one verse at a time, so that was never going to happen. But as I considered what my last sermon would be, there was no doubt about where we would be going. There was no doubt whatsoever where we'd be going. Of course, we'll be going to the Word of God, for we know that there is nothing that I personally have to share today that is of any weight or remotely carries any significance in comparison to the Word of God. Three and a half years ago, we set out what the future would be built on. Three and a half years ago, I titled that sermon, Sola Scriptura. The ministry here at Lincoln Baptist would be built on a foundation of Scripture. And it's this foundational truth that led us to multiple sermon series, walking through 16 books of the Bible, our longest being Mark's Gospel at 51 sermons. And further to this, in our house groups, we've delved deep into further seven books of the Bible. That means over the last three and a half years, based on this one phrase, sola scriptura, we have covered nearly a third of the Bible and we have learned so much in those three years. And we're not going to depart from that foundational truth today. We are going to go to the Word of God. There's also no doubt as to the aim, the goal of this final sermon. Six months ago, we set out the aim in all things to be sola deo gloria, to glory to God alone. This second foundational truth has impacted us in ways that really we could never have imagined. We've gone on a journey of outrageous generosity. It needs have been met for the glory of God. Bills have been wonderfully paid for the glory of God. And to the glory of God, our missions budget has nearly trebled in these last three years. We have sought to be above reproach having no behavior, no attitude, no ministry, no member reflect anything else but God's glory. And so in this, my final sermon, not only must we go to Scripture, but we must have the sole purpose of glorifying God. And so as I reflected on these two truths that have spurred on our ministry here at Lincoln Baptist, I pondered, where to next? It won't surprise you that I was led back to the five solas, and it's not till the 1900s that these five solas were grouped together, yet they have a history dating all the way back to the Reformation in the 1500s. The five solas, you'll recognize some of these, sola scriptura, on scripture alone, sola fide, by faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, sola gratia, by grace alone, and sola deo gloria, glory to God alone. And if I was to read that out again, you will notice a few things. That the first was our foundational ministry here, sola scriptura. And that the last, sola deo gloria, was our goal here. And as traditionally set out, I wonder, did you hear what the center point was? Do you see what all the solas revolve around? Solus Christus in Christ alone. Do you see the importance of this? For if Christ was not the center of all things, faith would be pointless. 
For who else or what else can you place your faith in that will guarantee an eternal resolve to your sin-sick soul? You can search the whole world and you will not find another like Christ. If Christ were not the center of all things, then it would have been by our works that we were saved and therefore the grace of God would not even be known to us. And so with scripture as our foundation of truth and with our aim to glorify God today, we're going to gaze upon who takes center stage. We're going to look at what it means to be solus Christus, what it means to be in Christ alone, having our Lord and Savior lifted high above all else, our reason to live, our reason to serve, our reason to be the church at Lincoln Baptist. And so you are going to need your Bibles. We're going to be turning to Colossians chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible with you, simply raise your hand and we will get one to you. If you do not own a Bible, the Bibles we're passing out is for you to keep and to read. But we're heading to Colossians chapter 1. It's found in the New Testament. You'll find it after the Gospels and in amongst the letters of Paul. We're going to Colossians chapter 1. If we're going to be solus Christus, we are to be in Christ alone, then surely it's fairly obvious that with utmost importance, we need to establish who is this Jesus, that we are to be in alone, that we are to seek to be focusing on. And so we're going to turn our attention to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to just take a few verses, and I'll take a verse at a time and explain where we're going. So let's go to verse 15, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Do you see that the Jesus is the image of the invisible God? Interestingly, Paul uses this word image. In ancient Greek, it was said that the image was an exact representation of the subject. Jesus, the image of God, is the exact representation of the invisible God. But we don't have to rely on the Greek language and the Greek culture to tell us this. In fact, Hebrews 1.3 on the screen, we're told that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Paul is showing us that Jesus is in fact God, giving us clarity to any hazy view that we might have of Jesus. But Paul goes a step further. He declares that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, which connotes that Jesus is supreme or has authority over all created things. And I want you to get this. In this one verse, we see this, that Jesus outranks everyone everywhere at any time. Okay, Keep that in your mind that Jesus outranks everyone, anywhere, at any time, because he is ultimately supreme. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Again, do you see this? All things were created in him, through him and for him. When referencing the visible and invisible, Paul is stating that both the created things, powers and authorities, and heavenly created things, the heavenly realm and angels, are in, through, and for Jesus. Putting it simply, nothing and nobody operates a higher authoritative role than that of Jesus. We've spent the last few months looking at the creation narrative. And what has been abundantly clear is that no element of creation was possible without God. It was only by his command that anything came into being. However, look a little closer at verse 16. 
Not only does Jesus hold all authority over all of creation, but he also holds authority over thrones and dominions and rulers. We live in a world where ambition drives many an individual to rise to power. I just need to say, the UK Prime Minister and the French President, and you know what I'm talking about. But do you grasp this this morning, that there is no political party, not a single ruler, not one person on this earth that holds a position more supreme than the ruler of all, Jesus Christ? And Paul makes sure that we get this, verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ sustains the entire universe, the cosmos, and everything within it. He didn't simply create and then walk away. He holds it all together. Uh, David Garland, a theological writer, uh, put it this way, that he keeps the cosmos from being chaos. Just imagine if God left the world. Just imagine if he completely left. In fact, we don't have to imagine. We just have to read the Old Testament. When God left Israel, what happened? Chaos. The universe is not self-sufficient. It is entirely reliant upon Jesus, the image of God. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he might be preeminent. The supremacy, the ultimate authority of Jesus stretches beyond the basic fragment of creation and then into specific areas. Paul points out one of them, the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the source that supplies the church. He directs and gives life to the body. Many of us misunderstand what church is. You see, it doesn't exist to meet the needs of the members. That's not the purpose. The sole purpose of the church is not here to just simply meet your needs. Nor does it exist to keep an institution alive. It instead exists to proclaim the supremacy of Jesus and the truth of the gospel in through Jesus and to the head of the church that is Jesus. Now, we may care for your needs. The institution may continue and we may do many activities, but the ultimate goal is to make Jesus supreme over all things, in everything and for everything. And to hit this home, Paul points out that Jesus is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead. In other words, he marks new life by the cross as the first heir to the throne. We all must be born again, come into new life through Jesus to have access to God. And Jesus is the starting point in that relationship. He is given the respect of the title firstborn. Do you see that in all things, Jesus has the ultimate authority. He is supreme. What did I say? He outranks everyone, everywhere, at any time. Now, some of you might find that difficult. Some of you might have raised your opinion and raised your thought process higher than Jesus at times. Here's the wake-up call. You are not higher than Jesus. He outranks you. Now, earlier this year, I had the great opportunity to head out to New Tribes Mission and teach the Philippians class. I did so well, they're not inviting me back next year. Um, that's my fault, really. But it was during this class in Philippians 2 that we learned some really incredible things about Christ. I want you in your Bibles to turn to Philippians chapter 2. You just need to turn a page or two back. And we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2 where we see an outpouring of this Jesus who is supreme, who has authority over all, who outranks us anywhere, everywhere, and any time. 
And so we read Philippians. We're going to read the whole chunk. Chapter 2 from verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in a likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory Notice that, so a day of gloria, to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> this Jesus laid his rights down for the good of mankind and the salvation plan of God the Father. One commentator wrote that Jesus won the hearts of men not by blasting them with power, but by showing them a love they couldn't resist. Do you get that? That Jesus, who outranks anyone, everywhere, at any time, who has supreme authority, who can do as he pleases, who can command anything, doesn't blast you with power. He comes in the humblest way possible. Jesus appealed to us in love by laying down his life, the humblest act of all, to give someone your life. It was the most humiliating and degrading death there was, one that was reserved for serious criminals, for murderers, and for the community that simply wanted to punish somebody. Yet Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, and then Jesus was rewarded by the Father. He was highly exalted. No, this isn't just praise. You know, you go along to your child, well done, you did a good job. This wasn't the Father going, well done, Jesus, good job. It wasn't just a word of praise. This was high exaltation. His name would be above all other names. It was the name of Jesus that would be lifted high. For generations, for centuries, for millennia, it would be the name of Jesus and the sacrifice that would be spoken about. It would be Jesus that would have all authority. But notice, to God's glory, he lifts Jesus from the humble position of death on a cross to be seated once again on the throne in heaven to God's glory. God is glorified in the humility and the exalting of Jesus. And notice after the great humility of Jesus, notice this, every single person would be humbled before him. They're going to take a brand new position. And this is something I think we forget that we declare, we've got the position on the throne of Christ. We have the victory. Look at the position we hold. But look at the position in Scripture. On their knees before Jesus. You're either going to be judged as unworthy because you have rejected Christ, or you will be exalted in great glorification and bow the knee in worship and adoration. Don't confuse. It's not you that sits on the throne. It is Jesus that sits on the throne. We're on our knees before it. Folks, this is Jesus. So if we're to be in Christ alone, we need to know this Jesus. This is the one who sits at the center point of all things, the one that everything hangs upon. And you see, in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we know the truth of Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. 
is because of all of this that the church has to be solus Christus in Christ alone. To be in anything else or for anything else, it will doom the church for centuries and everyone in it. Solus Christus must be foundational to who the church is. Scripture declares it, and being solus Christus brings glory to God alone. For no other work and no other person can take the place of the Almighty Lord. I hope you can see this. This is not just me making things up. It's in the word of God. Yet there's a question I am left with. What does this mean for Lincoln Baptist moving forward? You see, for Solus Christus to truly make an impact, it needs to be more than believed. It needs to be lived out. You can believe something and it makes no impact to your life. Or you can believe something with deep conviction and it changes who you are. Just as the Apostle Paul would finish off his letters with final instructions, dare I say, let me draw this sermon towards my final applications before you. Taking the knowledge of Solus Christus and making it intensely practical for the church to grab hold onto in the coming months and years. And because I'm a doer Scotsman, I've done three encouragements, that's about as far as I could get, and one warning, okay? I nearly had it the other way around, but I thought maybe let's bring a smile to our faces. I have three encouragements and one warning that all comes from Colossians 1 and Philippians 2 and Solus Christus, where Jesus has authority and outranks everyone, everywhere, at any time. And the first one is to live Solus Christus. There are two aspects to this. I think the first is encapsulated in a quote from Rudolf Cole a theologian and author who wrote this. If your life is empty, fill it with Christ. If your life is empty, fill it with Christ. In the coming months, elements of Lincoln Baptist will feel empty. It would be fair to say that it will be several months before the church is considering potential applicants for the pastor position. It will take time. These processes take time and it's good not to rush. As COVID continues to be part of our world, it'll feel like a constant pressure on us as a whole church. And there'll also be a sadness that potential increases in ministry can't happen as fast as we would like them to be. And even maybe as a silly little thing, the drum kit will sit empty for a few months. Maybe you want to take some lessons. I do mine on four months of lessons when I was nine. I'm sure if you take a couple of months of lessons now, you'll be on the drum kit next week. (laughs) But it's emptiness. There's elements in the coming months where things are going to feel empty. And in this emptiness, there is a temptation to fill it with meaningless nonsense. Whether that be debates over the way forward, endless attempts at some form of mission drift ministry that doesn't really glorify God, or just feeling empty and just kind of wallowing in self-pity. I encourage you, do not give in to this temptation. Instead, fill the void, fill the emptiness with Christ. As the church moves forward into the unknown, we are to live soulless Christus in Christ alone. We're to fill our time studying his words with the worship and praise of his name, with prayers before him and with an ever-increasing faith of him. 
Yet there's also another way to take this. To truly be solus Christus, you need to remove anything that would block you from doing so. Now more than ever, it is time for the church. Really, the church must come together and look seriously at anything that would block solus Christus. Now more than ever, the church must be serious at removing anything, any element, any potential that would take you away from Christ being at the center. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you see this? Seek first Jesus Christ, and he will deal with the new pastor. Seek first Jesus Christ, and he will deal with the feeling of emptiness. Seek first Jesus Christ, and do you know what? He's going to make you see something that's far beyond these four walls. He's going to let you see the kingdom of God. Seek first to be solus Christus. Seek first to live in Jesus, meaning get rid of anything that would stop you fulfilling this command. Why? Because when you fill the emptiness with anything else, you are taken away from Jesus. And so my first encouragement is fill the emptiness with Christ and remove the clutter so that Christ will reign. The second encouragement is to serve solus Christus. What is your motive to serving in church ministry? You might serve in the worship team or the refreshments team or a house group leader or as a leader in the church. Oh, we'll be quick to say that we serve for the sake of Jesus. We'll be quick to say that our true motivations are for Christ. But the reality is often our motivations betray us. To be solus Christus in our service means to seek the Lord, not ourselves, as we work and use our skills. At 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Do not let many kingdoms reign here at Lincoln Baptist. If you've never heard of the phrase many kingdom, it is where one individual gets all the sway, all the power, all the glory, and it's about them rather than about Jesus. Don't let that happen. Let the great kingdom of our Lord be our motivation. Our vision here is to make and grow disciples in Jesus. So let our service promote this in our vision. It's not only in Christ alone that we have the ability to serve, but it's only in Christ alone that it will be achieved. I want to say this again, there's not only in Christ alone that we have the ability to serve, but it is only in Christ alone that the vision will ever be achieved. John Wesley gave a helpful summary to guide us toward what it means to serve the Lord in our daily tasks. One of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbour which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. In other words, what you do in secret, what you do in person, what you do to somebody who is your neighbor physically, who is your neighbor as you walk, who is your neighbor at work and in your studies, who is your neighbor at church, God sees and you're serving that neighbor as if Christ was indeed that neighbor. To serve Solus Christus at Lincoln Baptist means our teams must be filled with Christ-loving, gospel-believing Solus Christus servers. 
you can have all the skill in the world. You can have all the knowledge in the world. And you're still doing it for the wrong reasons. Our teams must be Christ-loving, gospel-believing, solus Christus service. My third encouragement is to preach solus Christus. A few weeks ago, I shared this quote. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. What a wonderful rally cry for the preachers of God's word. In the coming months, the church will be blessed by our visiting preachers and our preaching class. As a church, place a great expectation on those preachers. I'm going to say that again so you really grasp this. Place a great expectation on those preachers. If they do not preach Christ, do not have them in the pulpit. If they do not believe a deep conviction in the gospel, let them nowhere near this lectern. And if they do not desire God to be glorified alone, ensure they are never given a mic. As the church, guard the preaching of Christ In an age where philosophy and opinions and society and false doctrine are a constant pressure on preaching, let Lincoln Baptist declare with 100% confidence that you preach solus Christus, nothing more and nothing less, and every preacher that stands here is held accountable to that. Don't be soft on the preaching class. I'm warning you guys. Don't send them emails on Monday morning that are miserable, but don't be soft on them. If their sermons lack Christ, get it sorted out. If they're struggling, get them more training. Do not have low expectations for sermons. Sermonettes do nothing. Deep, convicted preaching shakes the gate of hell. And we expect that of our preachers. Romans 10 says... How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Jesus is supreme over all things. He is center stage. He holds all things together. It's only through Jesus that we must be saved. And therefore, with every effort we can muster, we must ensure that Jesus Christ is preached with passion and conviction. That doesn't mean they're all going to look the same, sound the same, or even shout as a Scotsman at you. But it means in their hearts, in their lives, you should see what they are preaching. And so my warning, and with this is my last point, beware of solus sautu. Beware of solus sautu. We understand solus to mean alone. Sautu is a Greek word that means of yourself. Essentially, this phrase means of yourself alone. Beware of the individuals who live solus sautu rather than solus Christus. These individuals are never happy when the word of God convicts. They're never content with further generosity or service. And most of all, they are irate at the thought of a social gospel ever being challenged and even denounced. These individuals exist in each church. I want to be clear here. 
any church you go to, there will be some who are off themselves alone. And they have little care for the whole body of Christ. We take membership seriously. If everyone becomes a member and they're soulless too, what's the point of membership? You're just all out for yourselves. Membership is saying we're soulless Christus and we're in it together. These soulless too are conspicuous by their absence at communion, at members' meetings, and even a Sunday morning service. They lurk in the background, spreading rumours, causing murmuring. They wait for their moment to pounce to achieve a self-seeking agenda. They're not known for reading and meditating on the Word of God. They make excuses as to why they cannot devote attention to Scripture. They're not known for positive encouragement. Instead, they're known for grumbling and even, to some extent, heretical views. These individuals are soulless Sautu. They want what they want, and they'll take down anyone that gets in their way. Now, there's two things I want to say about this. First, as an individual, as a pastor, beware of those who are soulless Sautu. They may already be amongst you. They may be joining. They may be returning. Be always on guard. And some of you are saying, how dare he say these things from the pulpit? Well, let me say this. God got there before me. Jude, a wonderful letter that warns us of many things. And in Jude, we read these words about those who are soulless thou too. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in the late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. You can shout at me as the messenger, but I guarantee you, you cannot challenge these words, the word of God that is entirely true for eternity. We are warned in Jude. Beware of those who are waterless clouds, who look like they're bringing promise, but bring absolutely nothing. And you know, wonderfully, Jude gives us the antidote to such behaviors. He gives us the means by which we remain soulless Christus. But you, beloved, the church, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How do you beware of soulless Sautu? You don't go around pointing fingers at people. You say, I am Christ and Christ alone. I am soulless Christus. I grow in my faith from him. I develop my faith in him. I have great expectations on the preachers. I read my word every day. I worship my Lord every day. I pray before him every day. And that is how I protect myself from soulless Sautu. But as a church membership, that only works when you do it together. We are just about a few weeks away from the end of our daily reading program. In fact, I've actually just recorded yesterday the final one of the year. That's a little bit weird to record it 25 days in advance, but I've just finally recorded the last one. And in it, I say, do not finish your reading on the last day of this year and then be so arrogant to not pick up the Bible the next day. You don't know everything. We've done this program, what, five, six years, Miriam and I? Every year we find something new. Every year I look at it and go, how did I miss that? And so I come to the end of my final sermon here. 
What more is there for me to say than these simple three phrases? Three phrases that should be the backbone of the church. Three phrases that will protect you, that will keep you and that will spur you on when you feel empty. Three phrases that will bring immense opportunity for the gospel, dealing blow after blow after blow to the devil. And three phrases that will ensure that Christ will reign forevermore. Sola Scriptura, on Scripture alone. Sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone, and all possible because of solus Christus in Christ alone. I'm going to pray if we could organize for the junior church to come back in, please. Let us pray. How wonderful it is, Father, that I may not preach from this lectern again, but the word of God never fades. The Word of God never leaves. The Word of God is never silent. What a wonderful privilege it has been, Father, to serve you in just this small way. Father, we pray with great expectation that the preachers that come after me, Barnabas being first next week, that, Father, they would open your Word. They would be captivated by it and they would teach it with conviction. Father, I pray for the saints here at Lincoln Baptist. Father, I do indeed pray there will be a case that tomorrow morning they wake up, and it's not emptiness. It is not when's the next pastor going to come. It is not my agenda. It is not what now, but it's solus Christus. Today, tomorrow, every day. And Father, I pray, as I watch from far afield, that as Paul writes to Philemon, that he can look upon with great thanksgiving because he knows a saint is loving. When Paul writes in Philippians, when he looks upon them far away and he sees a whole church and he's filled with thanksgivings because he knows they are Christ-centered. <laughs> Father, let this church not be a Galatian church. Let the phrase not be what tripped you up. But let the phrase be, wow, solus Christus really is quite incredible. And so, Father, we pray this entirely in your name. Amen.